Hi friends, welcome to From the Core with Carly Perkins. Together, we'll explore healing modalities that decrease anxiety and stress and learn to live from a joyful, heart-centered space. After struggling with bouts of anxiety, insomnia, stress, and burnout in my 20s, I began a journey of self-healing and discovery to attract and sustain joy. This resulted in a life filled with more resilience, ease, and flow. Now in my early 30s, I've channeled my dance and fitness teaching background into a deep desire to learn about and engage with various healing resources to continue to grow and also help others integrate them into their own lives. My mission is to keep engaging with helpful healing tools so that I can empower people to find their own personal healing within their intuition and soul connection to the natural world. See you inside the podcast. Hi, lovely ones. Welcome back to another episode of From the Core with Carly Perkins. I'm Carly, your virtual pal, and I'm grateful that you've chosen to spend this time with me. I have an exciting episode ahead, but first I'll tell you a little bit about my background. I'm a certified life coach, and I specialize in EFT tapping, breathwork, and other energy movement modalities such as healing through dance and embodiment practices. I enjoy creating guided meditations, and studying wellness has enabled me to overcome anxiety and depression in my younger years, and ever since starting that journey, I've had an insatiable appetite to learn more and to try out various types of healing modalities to heal myself and also to inspire healing in others because there are many kinds of healing modalities that we can practice from our home. So my goal in bringing certain experts and practitioners of various aspects of wellness to this podcast is to share with you information that you can use today on your own in the comfort of your home and with practitioners who are licensed to help guide you towards feeling more ease, joy, and love in your life. I believe that life is meant to be joyful, light, fun, and delicious, pleasurable, And in my own experience, it often is, and the only thing standing in our way is our mindset. Oftentimes, lack mindset, limiting beliefs around what we think we're deserving of. And I explore these themes often throughout the podcast. Today's episode is a lot of fun. I sit down with Rudy Tescalo. Rudy is a deep thinker. He is finishing up his master's degree in somatic psychology, so we dive into what that entails. And we also unveil some of his favorite embodiment practices, and we discuss balancing the masculine and feminine energies that we all have within each of us. And he is a self-proclaimed soul activist, so we talk about what soul activism means and how he helps people to move freely in and out of the soul's inner chambers and to first clear the way. And he helps people to work relationally with body-centered approaches really a practice of honoring each other as we are and creating space to find healing without judgment. So this is going to be a great episode I know you'll enjoy and learn a lot from. If you enjoy this episode, please leave five stars and a review if your streaming platform allows that. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. I greatly appreciate it and it helps people to find this content and enjoy it and hopefully find self-healing. Thank you, as always, for listening, and I'll see you on the other side of this interview. Take care. 
All right, Rudy, welcome to From the Core. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. So I thought we could jump right in by learning about your journey and discovering somatic psychology. What does it entail exactly? Can you give us some background of what it is and the history behind it? Yeah. Um, so to start with my journey, I had gotten a bachelor's degree in psychology and was working as a counselor. Mm-hmm. And um, this was mostly in group homes, um, outpatient drug rehabilitation. And I was wanting to work more one-on-one and with people who were there upon their own will rather than maybe um, told to by the state. And so, yeah, I needed to get a master's degree to be able to do that. Not to glamorize it, I, I didn't even know too much about somatic therapy. I was looking around at the local colleges and I knew CIS was a good alternative to public schools. Mm-hmm. And so they had integral counseling, which is really just an amalgamation of a bunch of different therapies. And you take um, classes across the board about psychology. And then they had somatics, which was a body focused approach. And so I thought I'm gonna go with the somatics. Some of the history of somatics, I'll probably start with um, Wilhelm Reich, who was around the same time as Freud, who came up with the idea that out of our personalities, we have a body armoring techniques, different techniques in which we hold our muscles. And he believed that um, energy was flowing through the body in, a fluid way until we really got stressed and held certain organs or muscles and that stopped the flow. And so we had um, um, like any sort of mental issues could arise from this or physical symptoms. And so he was using touch like pressure techniques and massage to help break down these body armoring. And so that was really the start of it. now it's it's more hands-off and i think that has a lot to do with um just the legalities and the risk management of therapists and touching clients and there being a history of that and i think i'd like to make a comment on touch and psychotherapy in general because it's not it's not a typical thing that's you hear about mm-hmm. um in our Western culture, because we conflate touch so much with sex and power and dominance. Um, So in a large way, touch is missing from psychotherapy. And so it's interesting as I'm pursuing my license to, to think about how much I'll be touching clients in my position, positionality as a male working Mm -hmm. with females, how I do this in certain ways. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's rich, and also in this time in the world, it's it can be you know scary to think about re-traumatizing someone in a certain way that wasn't intended. Right. So well said. That's something that we definitely need need to be mindful of. And uh, in your position, it's great that you're you know so aware of that and thinking of ways to approach it in you know the correct way. But of course, it'll, I mean, I'm sure like, yeah, the positionality will change depending on the circumstance. Um, yeah, I, I think from some experiences that I've had in my own therapies, I can understand how talking, the talking cure only can go so far sometimes. 
Um, and especially when it comes to deep rooted issues, it's like cognition is only one way that we relate to the world. And so to be able to have these different orientations of feeling into ourselves, relating to another through the limbic system, it's really important because I, I, I think, you know, the verbal communication is just a, just a portion. And so it just opened up a lot more doors and, um, yeah, I think the more traditional like CBTs, they're working with cognition and behavior and there's so much more to the, um, what makes us human other than the logic and the reasoning that we have through the verbal communications. Yeah, so maybe I can just talk a little bit more about um, somatics and what that term means, because maybe- sure. yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, break it down for us, Rudy. Sounds good. Yeah, so um, uh, somatics in itself just means of the body. Um, and somatic psychology is a term that um, includes many different modalities of working with clients. Um, the approach more being a bottom-up approach versus a top-down. Um, in I guess I'll explain what the top down bottom up is um, top down more being an approach to the, the prefrontal cortex and the dorsolateral area of the brain. Mm. So we talk and then we have the experience. So it's mm. cognition and then it goes down and the bottom up approach is a more sensate experience to the healing process. It's like we're prompting if I was therapist and you were a client, I'd be prompting you on a certain area of your body and allowing your body's reaction or response to dictate where we go next. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So it's, it's somatic psychology is built on the premises that the, the body needs to process stressful events. And when we don't include all the body awareness, um, like conscious breathing uh, or bringing your attention to a certain um, injury, um, we're limiting our ability um, to use our innate healing. Mm, yeah, the, the body is so wise. We, I believe we have our own inner guidance system that's of the body. I'm just curious, do we all store stress in our body in different ways? Or are there a lot of similarities between the ways that human carry stress in our bodies? Yeah, okay, so I think it's very individual. Um, we all share the same structure. And so the way that it gets encoded into our bodies may be the same, but the way that mm. we pair our memory either consciously or unconsciously with that event mm. is completely different. And the ways in which it unfolds is also completely different. Mm -hmm. um, but just to speak to some commonalities is when I'm working with someone and I'm doing body scans and I'm getting to their stomach, I always slow down when I get to this place because people hold a lot of tension in their stomachs. And so I'm typically asking to put their hand there and to pause and to bring like a loving touch to that area because just so much has been stored there. And um, the same could be said about the neck and the shoulders. Do but a lot yeah. of people carry anxiety in the stomach? Because I feel like for me, that's a place I've noticed. I carry some tension and I I'm pretty aware of the chakra system. And so like solar plexus area, I feel like 
but when that's constricted, I'm very aware of it. And, and so it's interesting that you mentioned stomach because I wonder if that's a commonality that you've seen or that's yeah, um, I think about it in the sense of like our defensive position when if someone were to come at us and we clench, I think the core, we can like feel that all meeting right there in the center. So mm-hmm. I think it's across the board. Anyone I've talked to, at least in my cohort upon studying, talks about the stomach as having the most memories come from that place. Mm-hmm. So fascinating. Mm-hmm. I love learning about all of this. In the beginning of your journey to study psychology and somatic psychology in particular, was there a pivotal moment that led you in that direction? What set you on that path? I would go back to moments of being a teenager and having um, some brain injury. I had a severe concussion in sports Mm. and I remember waking up face down in the grass going, I don't want to deal with this sort of thing anymore because there had been a lot of moments of of head trauma. And after that, and I thought that would be the end, right? And like, I was going to change and stop playing the sport, but I had short-term memory loss for about a year after that. And there was a chemical imbalance in my brain for sure, because I was craving something. And that's, when I had found something called MDMA um, as a teenager. And in those years, I didn't quite understand that something was missing. All I knew is that this feeling was great. This is what I needed. And spiraling through doctors and psychiatrists and nothing seemed to be really helping. um, I came to be more interested in psychology and and what does it mean to connect with somebody I had a couple diagnoses and they they just were misdiagnosing me as a Mm. 16 year old kid and you're Mm. going through this transformative time and so I didn't I knew I didn't know what I needed but I knew that what I was getting wasn't the help that I needed so um I want to fast forward a little bit I took a trip um to Canada with one of your brothers actually (laughs) and um we met these two older men they're probably about 10 years older than us and we were hanging out with them and one's like hey I got all these records you guys want to go back to my spot we'll play chess and we'll listen to some records and we're like that's right up me and Drew's alley so that sounds exactly like Drew (laughs) chess and records (laughs) we're flipping through the records and Drew's playing this guy with chess and I remember putting on these different records and and this other guy he's smoking a cigar and he goes, Hey, that one right there, let it play. That one reminds me of my mom. And I was like, Hmm. So I'm letting it play. And we're talking outside and he gets into telling me the story and it starts getting really heavy. And in telling the story, he starts tearing up and I'm like, and I like, Hey man, I like put my hand on his shoulder and I'm just like, you don't need to, you don't need to, if you don't want to, like, and, and we, we'd been drinking and whatnot. And which I have another qualm with, like the way in which our culture um, purges feelings while under the influence is like yeah. not always the best way. Right, but anyways, right. it, it is one way and it was happening. And he was telling me this traumatic event that he witnessed as a child involving his mother and him. And I remember thinking in that moment, this is healing 
Like there's something going on here that I can feel him getting a little bit lighter. Mm-hmm. And I loved witnessing it. And it was like a profound moment of like, aha, like this is what I would like to do more of. How can I get in this position? Um, and so I ended up wanting to study psychology. But um, before I finished telling that piece of the story, um, this man who I'll never see again, I'll just name drop him Arkin. He had such a cool name. His name was Arkin. And Arkin was telling me about this Dr. Gabriel Mate who had been helping the downtown east side Vancouver homeless population. And he was opening up this ayahuasca clinic. I think this was back in 2010 or 11. Anyways, um, in my head, I'm like, ayahuasca, what, what is this? You know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I went back home and bought this book in the realm of hungry ghosts, which I also recommend to anyone interested in addiction and wanting to understand um, the war on drug users and not the war on drugs. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I just, I, that led me down a path of, of being understanding that plants can be medicines and used as medicine to recreate ourselves rather than recreation. And it was just a whole shift in my um, understanding. And it was a gift to hear this person's story. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. so yeah, thanks for hearing. That's part of my story. And, and I feel it's a gift for me to be able to share it. So thanks for opening up the space for that. Yeah, that's beautifully said. I liked what you said about recreate through plant medicine rather than it just being recreational. And although everyone's journey has its difficult moments and then lighter moments, but it's interesting that you were led down this particular journey of healing for yourself that led you to, it sounds like, want to understand more about healing in general. And then you had these like kismet experiences that were in alignment with that process of understanding and tapping into what healing feels like and and here you are now after all of that and delving in deeper so it's it's interesting like in the moment and having sustaining an injury is it's terrible and it can be really difficult to endure but it's really inspiring and beautiful that you came out the other side wanting to learn from it and you know all of your different experiences throughout your life but uh seeking yeah. curiosity because i think if we can seek to be curious of what transpires in our life and not really ruminate on why this happened but like it happened so now work with it and work with the energy of it and to learn from it we can really grow a million fold from that experience you know yeah and it was like i can't tell you how much i was suffering in those moments and not understanding and i think the profession that I want to go into is like life is full of suffering. And if we can't, if we can't ascribe meaning to the suffering experiences, then it's almost like there's a loss. So mm-hmm. let's get together, co-create a space where we can make some meaning together about our story and turn it into something that we want. So we're more empowered. Yeah. It's also fascinating. So I would love to learn more about what embodiment means to you, how you define it. You mentioned a body scan. Can you break down for us what that entails and what some of your favorite embodiment practices are that you have found a lot of enjoyment from? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think embodiment, simply put, is 
what are we holding in our attention? Um, what are we feeling interoceptively, extraoceptively, thinking about, seeing, perceiving? And I think I want to be clear, it's, it's never the question of is somebody embodied or are they not? It's everyone's always embodying. It's, it just depends on what we're embodying. So the question mm -hmm. is more of what are we embodying in that moment? Mm -hmm. um, I even was hearing someone talk about like astral projection and they were saying this is in a disembodied person. Hmm. But I think in a way, if our attention is going astrally to another place, we are now embodying that place. Um, so Can, are um, you able to explain what astral projection is for us, for anyone who might not know? I know a little bit about it, but I, I can't speak intelligently to it. I'd love to learn more if you have anything else you'd like to say about that. Yeah. Um, so I think, have you ever had the experience when you're when you're disassociating and it doesn't quite feel like you are from this point behind your eyes, looking out, maybe you're in a dream and you're in a different place, like mm -hmm. in the corner of the room or something mm -hmm. really scary happens and you don't mm -hmm. feel like you're centered. Yeah, um, totally. Mm -hmm. so yeah. I think in the way that the person was talking about astral projection is they were deliberately trying to take their consciousness up and out of their body into wherever the ethers they're talking about and like mm. perceive from a different place of being. And they mm. were doing a lot of these motions up. So I think like going up to a, a higher place to, to have a new way of seeing has mm. a lot to do with it. Yeah. Like maybe in meditation, that's something that I've done without really having a word to describe it, or at least have attempted to, to do while you're sitting there and you're really connecting with your crown chakra and your third eye, you're in your body, you're embodied, but you're casting a vision into the ether. Is that what that is sort of? I mean, I, for sure, that could be the experience in my experience of my meditations. I'm really trying to come down, down, down. Mm -hmm. um, and I think also to give credence to psychedelics in this topic, topic is important too, because mm -hmm. a lot of people that I've spoken with are taking psychedelics in order to reach this out of body, um, actually projected place as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So or do you enjoy, you mentioned that you, you've meditated a bit. Can you speak more to that? Like what kind of meditations do you enjoy? And so for embodiment practices, do you do breath work, like embodiment breath work? I've done a few different kinds of breath work. What, what kind of practices do you typically participate with? Yeah, I, I think the breath is number one. This is like the 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 only internal body um, structure that we have control over is the breath, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I do a lot of breathing. Probably for the past nine years, I've been speaking with a man who's a who's sort of like a mentor to me, and he's trained under Tibetan Buddhism. So he talks about bare attention, like B A R E and just seeing what's right in front of you with no filters on nothing. So just really coming down to earth into the moment, what's going on is how I've done my meditation pretty much for my whole um, past nine years. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, meditation being one of my embodiment practices, there's something about swimming in water that is mm -hmm. very 
important for me. It's just mm -hmm. the way that water holds whatever's inside of it. Um, yeah. yeah, there's, so that's, that's a big one. Um, dancing, getting like my spirits up and having that high energy as I'm feeling into my body with the floor. And then obviously with a partner too, adds a whole nother element when you're, when you're experiencing the two energies in, um, one space. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, sex is another one. I mean, that's just another intimate place where oxytocin just come in and it's, it's, um, probably the most heightened experienced embodiment practice that I have. Yeah. So really an embodiment practice is anything where you're fully in your body. It sounds like, right. Or you're like present in your body and you're feeling into every aspect of it simultaneously. Yeah. Um, maybe a question to ask is what are you in touch with in this moment? Like mm -hmm. as you're dancing, right. What are you in touch with as you're dancing? Are you feeling the other person that you're dancing with, mm. you know, are you having awareness of the way that your arms and legs are moving? Um, and it's interesting. Um, I think I want to include the work of Gabriel Roth in this moment, because this is some of the work I did in some of my er earlier classes for psychology was, mm -hmm. um, are you familiar with the five rhythms by Gabriel Roth? I don't believe I am. I'd love to learn. Tell me. Yeah. So she, she was a dancer in the mid 1900s and her aspect that she brought was there's five different rhythms in which the body can move. Mm. Um, one being staccato chaos, lyrical flowing and stillness. And in a way we, we are taught in our societies not to move in our own organic movements. Um, I'll say for me, for instance, in playing sports, uh, in football, I was told to throw my body at another person, mm -hmm. right? Um, running straight in track like this or whatever it may be. Um, and so what Gabriel Roth was um, encouraging was for people to find their own rhythm mm -hmm. and she would play different types of music with these different staccato um, flow, lyrical-like um, sounds, and then people would move to them and they would find their own sort of organic way of being. And I think this is really important when we're working on getting in touch with ourselves, what is your authentic movement? Yeah. Um, yeah. It does sound familiar. I think I have heard about that philosophy a bit. It's really interesting to revisit yeah, I like what you said about authentic movement. Mm -hmm. It's important. Yeah, um, and a little bit more on that topic. There's a woman in, at least she's teaching in the East Bay. I don't know if she's living there, but um, her name is Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen. And she does um, teach something called uh, body-mind centering. Mm. And she talks about the way in which from the cellular level, we all have our own unique vibrations in the body and the way that she leads her classes is we'll go inside and we'll start at the cellular level and then we'll feel each level until we get to our own uh, skin level and we'll move and we'll try and um, recreate our own movements and de-pattern what has been told is our movements. 
Whoa, I love that. That sounds so interesting. Yeah. I'm going to have to check out, uh, what is her name again? Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen. And I'll, okay. and I'll uh, yeah. share it in the chat or somehow. Yeah, I'll include her information in show notes, anyone that we're mentioning, because yeah, this is all fascinating information. There's a lot to digest <laughs> within these topics. I was just thinking about when you mentioned these different kinds of embodiment practices, do you believe that certain kinds of embodiment practices are more masculine or feminine? Do you believe that we all have masculine and feminine traits or they represent in our bodies in different ways? How have you done any research around that or come across that in your research? How does that play a role? Like dance, I've always thought as being more of a feminine type of embodiment practice and meditation has seemed more masculine to me. Not that one's for men and one's for women, more of an energetic. Does that make sense? Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Um, I haven't thought into this too much, but I, I'm just going into the idea of we ascribe meaning to everything. Yeah, I was just thinking of it because like dance is very fluid and from like an energetic standpoint in the, the reading and the research that I've done and just from working with dance for a long time in my life, it's a very fluid kind of energy and meditations more about the, depending on the kind of meditation, like, so sitting traditional sitting meditation is, has some people deem it as like more of a masculine embodiment practice because of the fact that it's maybe it's more of a linear process, you know, sitting straight up or lying down. But I was just kind of thinking about that. And one thought I have is that we could benefit from doing different kinds of embodiment practices. Like you mentioned the, all the different kinds, because then we can bring more alignment and balance into our lives, perhaps when we don't just do meditation or don't just do dance and we wear these different hats and try different practices, we can probably gain more alignment out of that. Just something I was thinking about. Yeah, I think it's, I think what you're onto is really important. I mean, in in relation to meditation, maybe seemingly more masculine, let's just go back to the, the image of the Buddha. That, that's a man who's sitting, right? Mm-hmm. But there's there's many people who meditate, I'm sure, in the history of the world who are females. And as far as dance goes, I grew up thinking that that was um, a thing for girls and a thing for, for women. And I'll do it um, if a woman wants to dance, but it was never something that I was told or taught in my culture that we do this as whoever you are. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a time in the world when people are recognizing that a man isn't just a masculine person. It's it, there's a balance to it, mm-hmm. feminine and masculine. Mm-hmm. And as I get older and I see peers around my age group, they're more open to trying these things and, and having more balanced perspective. And um, you know, maybe it's a compliment now to be told as a man you're more feminine, or to a woman I see the strength and the masculinity in you too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think we can benefit from as a society, embodying both sides, the masculine and the feminine. But since we've embodied the masculine so much societally, maybe we embody more of the feminine going into the future, you know, but um, yeah, it's just something I I think about at times, just as I work towards my own inner alignment. I always work to not judge others for, you know, maybe embodying one more than the other. And I say it as more of an energetic, not like necessarily male or female, but just like the energy behind those kinds of terms. Yeah. So I'm curious. So what has surprised you most in the process of becoming a student and self-proclaimed 
you said that you're an activist of the soul's inner workings. Is that correct? Yeah, um, I think my intention is to sit with people who are who are interested to go really deep. And this is this is could be considered the field of depth psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what maybe what has surprised me most. Um, maybe my the responsiveness of my inner world to show up in my conscious awareness once I mm. concretely laid my intentions mm. um, so for example in the past few months I've made sure to have the ritual every night to open a bottle of mugwort essential oils and set an intention before going to sleep to be relating with my dreams and relating with my unconscious through the dream world. Oh, I love this. Tell me more. Yeah, I love, I'm all about, sorry, not to interrupt, but I'm like, ooh, I love uh, doing that, saying intentions before sleep. Yes. Great. And I'll have to get you a (laughs) bottle of this mugwort that I have too, if you're interested. Yeah, I've never worked with mugwort, but I love essential oils. Please continue. (laughs) Yeah, so I've been dreaming lots of things. And I think one pertinent dream I can share now is of I'm at the top of a very like snowy mountain and Mm -hmm. there's a blizzard going on it's really rough conditions and I have this sense of like I have to get down to this mountain to meet this person this is very important Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's a lover I don't know if it's a friend I don't know who they are um, but I'm gonna make it and so I'm like so determined going through this blizzard, making my way down. There's a cabin on the right that's seemingly got a fire going real warm. And I'm like, I can't, I got to keep going, <laughs> you know? So I, I finally get to the bottom and there's this person, this is a, a woman. It's actually an ex partner of mine. Oh, and I wow. see her and I'm excited. I'm like, Hey, I'm here for you. I'm like super stoked and good to, good to meet you here. And she's like, okay, yeah, cool. I want you to look at these two people over here. And I'm like, what? No, like I came (laughs) for you. I came all this way. And she was like, okay, great. Now look at these two people and I'm going to leave. And so I'm like left out in the snow and I'm like, what, you know, anyways. So there's these two people that are standing there and they're just standing out in the snow and they're staring into each other's eyes. And I am like looking all around, like, is this it? Is this really what's going on here? And then it finally occurs to me, like, they are connecting on a very deep level. And then I wake up in that moment and it doesn't occur to me until a couple days later, I'm looking back in my dream journal and I'm like reading about them staring into each other's eyes and Rumi's poems come to mind is that the eyes are, I think he says the eyes are a gateway to the soul. Mm -hmm. or to the soul Mm -hmm. and I was saying oh how synchronous with my intentions of wanting to get more in touch with my own soul Mm -hmm. and having this dream about wanting to find a lover but she's telling me to look at these people who are having this soul connection Mm. and obviously this lover of mine is a a manifestation of some part of me right so it's Mm -hmm. my unconscious telling me hey here, here it is. And when you come back to it, what a foundational thing, just looking at another human connecting in that way. 
Mm. So um, was it maybe you looking back at yourself? Or I guess it depends. There's different ways of reading into it, I guess, I suppose. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not quite sure, but um, I, I, for what I understand is it was just a, a lesson and a reminder that this soul connection is a very foundational thing. It's not this esoteric or fancy schmancy thing to put on a pedestal. And it's very formative of who and what we are. So anyways, I'm, I may be digressing, but I think I just want to make a mention in my aspirations of doing soul level work with people. The soul is the part of everybody's everyday experiences. Everything is manifested from this place. This is like the basics of who we are. And my intention is to work with people so they can get in touch with that. Um, I think we already, as humans, have everything that we need. So we don't need to go out and search for anything else. We just need to turn inward and, and find that place from which we are coming from. Um, am, I, am I still making sense or is this? Yeah, that makes sense connect with our true essence do you mean like our presence of being and our authentic voice is that what you mean when you say yeah like connect yeah I would say yeah like meeting with our authentic self and and we have to look at all the things that are not ourself and the things that we tell ourselves that and they get in the way and we have to peek underneath and and push those aside and and really just to get back to where we started Mm -hmm. our foundational selves Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. say we're experiencing lack mentality from an inner child wound something that was kind of programmed into our subconscious as a child do we manifest sometimes from that place or where exactly are we manifesting from and does it change depending on what's occurring in our life I've done like the shadow and inner child work to clear limiting beliefs to be able to manifest what I truly desire so I've done that part of work I integrate that with more of the focusing on joy it's an active process of clearing away limiting beliefs and staying the path but now I focus on just being in alignment because I know what I feel like when I'm in alignment and I know what I need to feel that way And I'm now focusing more on joy. So I'm like leaving the shadow and inner child work behind a little bit. It's there and I'm aware of it, but I'm focusing more on what brings me joy and more of that simple kind of process. And and the more I do that, I've noticed because I've already done the shadow work a bit to understand a lot of that conditioning in my younger years through, you know, um, our peer groups and school and there's no one in particular to blame. It's not even about that. Just, you know, like things we picked up when we were young through into like our shadow. So it's just interesting because yeah, now that I'm focusing more on, you know, what can bring me joy, what makes me feel joyful and connected to my authentic self. I feel like things flow really easily when I'm approaching my day-to-day life from that space, not to like be passive and not be realistic about the pain in the world, but also to allow myself to be joyful and hold joy and grief at the same time in my consciousness. Yeah. So 
I think that there's no way you could have have felt so much in your alignment if you hadn't done any sort of reflection or shadow work as you're calling it. Yeah. And you're, and you're aware that you're not just bypassing this pain and saying that you're going to be in this positive, joyful state, right? You've done some work to get there. And I think that's necessary because otherwise we're just going down through our trajectory and we're not looking about the effects of what we've caused and Mm -hmm. the effects not being of like a rippling out, but the effects that come back and will circle back into our lives. Mm. I may be biased, but I love Carl Jung's work. And I think having an understanding of our shadows being archetypes that show up repeatedly in our lives is extremely important it just is another way of understanding what we are as humans animals these beings that are are of many parts Mm -hmm. and i don't know if i want to talk too much to the inner child work because i haven't done too much of this work as a therapist but something i know for for sure that has helped me is Mm -hmm. visiting little rudy in my memories Mm -hmm. right as a as a thought exercise Mm -hmm. and almost as a embodied thought exercise of like putting little Rudy in the room. And when he was dealing with some shit as a kid, he didn't understand and saying, that's okay. You don't have to get it right. Mm -hmm. You didn't know, you know, and, 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 and validating that younger part of myself Mm -hmm. and metacognitively knowing that I'm talking to a wounded part that is still with me. It's not this metaphorical thing that's separate. Yeah. Has, has created a part in me that has felt warm and I could feel the shift. And so I think it's, I think both and are important, but it matters how open to it and how ready you are to connect with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I totally agree. I like to interact with little Carly too. And also validate her experience and shed light on her and love on her because she's definitely still there. I think one of my really joyful, carefree side is my little side. I, I like to interact with all, all the versions of myself. <laughs> That's not something I've always done, but the older I get, the more, as you mentioned, like you become more in touch with your authentic self. And so the older I get, the more I understand my highly aligned, high vibrational self. And when I... I'm having a dream oftentimes, or in meditation, I hear my higher self speaking to me more than the inner child part of myself anymore. But I still like the feelings I get sometimes are from my little, my younger self, less than the vocal thoughts. But sometimes I I think my high school self still like speaks to me sometimes in my thoughts. That's like some of my lack mindsets, my high school self. (laughs) I'm like, oh girl, relax. You're fine. Well, going to the same um, public school, I understand how much rupture can happen in these in these in our teenage years. And I will be honest, I think my teenage years need the most <laughs> revisiting yeah. and self-care um, right. retroactively. Um, and I think I want to make a note about to those people who, who who give it a try if they do this inner child work, it can feel it can feel silly. Mm-hmm. Like you're talking to a younger you. Right. And it is silly. Um, it's silly until you get to the point where you're reaching maybe a space where you were really traumatized in that younger self. 
then it's no longer silly. And then you want to make sure that you have like this compassionate grounding for, for that experience. And you're not just looking at it from the outside perspective and going, Oh yeah, you know, I was fucked up as a kid, as, as I've heard many people say, right. Yeah. So how do you create, if someone were to do some of this inner child work, how do they create a safe space to explore that if they're new to this kind of a process? What would be a good way of dipping their toe in? Um, well, I think, I don't think I would recommend doing it alone. I, I think mm-hmm. you should work with someone who's experienced because for, on, the, on the light end of it, you know, you could make a, a kind of judgment call and like, ah, oh, you know, I was fucked up as a kid and then not address it again. On the harsher end, you can re-traumatize it. Like you're bringing up these emotionally strong events in your me- memory and, and that's going to affect the way that you continue on with the rest of your day or days. Yeah. And so um, I think it's important to create a safe space with another person because often mm-hmm. when we're healing, we... We don't want to do it alone. We're, we're, we want, we're social beings and we need to co-create um, relationally a safer space, right? Mm-hmm. And because and, we usually don't get traumatized on our own. So it doesn't quite make sense to me how we can heal alone either. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. I love that you said that. That really is poignant to consider. It's true. Even if it's just, if it's not one-on-one, support maybe with a virtual network I have like a virtual goddess collective I'm in and so I've connected with women who have shared experiences there and that's been helpful to me Mm -hmm. especially you know in these isolating times of COVID it's important to have at least and I'm you know as you know I'm close with my family so that's also a a support network for me so it could be friends family but great if you know if you have someone who can provide healing support in a therapeutic kind of way it's important to have someone there to guide you because otherwise it can be very overwhelming and uh, challenging and you don't want to re-wound or uh, re-traumatize as you eloquently said, because that I could see where that would be something that could be easily done if you didn't have the right tools. Mm -hmm. What I've been covering a lot on this podcast and with experts and different healers and practitioners of yoga and essential oils, healing and Reiki for example, is how to access our joy, our innate joy, what I believe is our birthright. We all should be able to access joy and it's something that we deserve. But right now during COVID, I mean, some of the restrictions are loosening up a bit, but we're still mostly at home and feeling in a lot of instances more isolated. It's been a year now that we, from when we initially went into lockdown in the U.S. So how do we not ruminate too much on, you know, everything that's going on and, and tap into our joy? What would be a quick way of accessing our joyful place within us from home? And you mentioned some ideas in your embodiment practices, but anything come to mind specifically for tapping into joy? Yeah. Um, I mean, when you bring up the pandemic, it just, Ooh, I feel it like it feels heavy. Um, and, and I don't know if relating to that, there is a quick fix, um, because there's so much grief that has come with the, 
the whole situation? Well, first I'll kind of try and respond to the question. Like, how do we tap into the joy? There's little things that we can do every day. For me, it's going out and being in my garden and planting the seeds and moving the soil around and looking to see how big my carrots have gotten and like Mm -hmm. interacting with something that has nothing to do with the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's things that we, there's things that we can do that are not so enmeshed with it. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. what, like, what is your self-care practices? As many people joke on social media now, pandemic life, they're laying in their bed with a bag of chips on their chest, right? And they're like, they're watching a movie. Okay, that's maybe not the healthiest way to get your, your feeling feeling that great, right? Maybe you can get up and go walk with a friend six feet away or whatever. Yeah. Um, but how how I would really like to answer the question is address the grief, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I'm working towards um, once I get my license is I want to hold grief grief circles mm-hmm. and hold ceremony around us because when in when in life do we have the opportunity to grieve unless we're going to a funeral in which most people are silent wearing black and witnessing. And so to come back to the question, um, I think we need to clear this grief that we're carrying in order to really find a deeper joy because the flip side of grief is, is praise. And these are the words of, I believe his name is Martin Pretzel. And, and you can look him up on, on YouTube. He gives talks about this, but we we're carrying such this collective grief around and what do we expect is going to happen? It's clogging up the systems. We have to clear these things. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. And so one way that we do that is we co-create a space with another human or, or many, and we talk about it Mm -hmm. and we don't just talk about it, but we feel it and we scream about it and we yell about it. And it's not, it's not juvenile in that way. It's authentic in that we are humans that feel things and we need change and we need to let things out and we need to process. Um, And it's an ancient practice, like shamanic shaking and really like yelling and and embodiment practices of that nature are ancient. We've been doing that for for thousands upon thousands of years. Yeah. And and now I'll bring in, uh, we were talking about the femininity in this culture in ancient Greece, as I know from my ancestry and also with the Celts, there was this practice of going and hiring these women of the tribe to come for this lamenting practice Mm -hmm. because the family was in distress. Someone passed away, whatever happened that was traumatic. They would go hire these wailing women to come in and scream. And then the women would get together and everyone would be screaming together. And it was like a way of notifying the town and it was a way of releasing it. And I'm, I'm actually doing um, some thorough research on this right now. So I'd just like to also talk about this is still happening in um, Eastern Africa, in Tanzania, there's a tribe when someone passes away, the women of the tribe come into the building where the body is buried. Hmm. And they do a collective um, sort of a lamenting practice. The men of the tribe, they come in and they, they make recognition of the body. Hmm. And then they go outside and they do a war dance in which they are pounding on their chest. They're taking their weapons, their spears, and they're hitting the earth and they're stomping and they're yelling and screaming. And this is like 
where have you seen something like this before? Have you seen anything like this? No, I, I, from what I understand in our culture, we gather in silence and we go into, you know, a cemetery or wherever people are going to hold these things and the family will be crying. And then they'll, you go up and give them a hug and they'll say, I'm sorry, I'm crying. And they're trying to give a speech. And just the fact that they're saying they're sorry for crying Mm -hmm. is like, insult to injury don't be sorry mm-hmm. about it mm-hmm. it's we all really normal <laughs> yeah yeah we understand what grief what grief every human understands what it's like to feel these feelings and yet for some reason we've developed a culture in which we we bring it inside and we hold it to ourselves as if it's our own yeah we become emotionally constipated sort of because we're just not releasing it and then mm-hmm. where, where will it go if, if it isn't released and moved then i believe as you mentioned too it just get stuck and it can present in ways that are toxic to us you know and coping in unhealthy ways so I think there's a lot to be gained from seeking embodiment practices and moving energy consistently because it just seems to me a healthier way to cope and to feel our feelings yeah it, and takes, saying, it takes effort yeah and you're saying where does it go it goes into the body and it yeah. stays there. It stays that's there. where it's going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. I love that. I like that idea a lot. Actually, I thought about, have you seen the movie Midsommar, the horror film? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a scene. I just recently thought of it again because I saw an Instagram post by Florence Q, I think her last name is from it. She, and it's the scene where she experienced trauma in the film. I don't want to give anything away, but she saw something pretty horrific to her and then she, I don't know if you recall this scene and then she goes back to the pardon, the women in her group and her yes. peer group there and then they all like lament together and she's screaming and they're mirroring back her feelings and that was my favorite scene in the film I thought wow this is so cool like I felt it in every cell of my being and I thought I want to do that like if I see something terrible that's what you want I would think or maybe not everyone but it sounds nice to me someone mirroring back to you how you're feeling so you feel held and seen and you can work through your feelings with people who are supporting you in that. I just thought that was such a cool scene. That sounds like kind of similar to what you were talking about. Yeah. And it's, it's coming back to mind for me too. I, I really appreciated that them, like they they're in a group and they're down on their knees and they're with the earth. And yeah, I think there's something special about the way in which grief knocks us off our feet to our knees. It's like, now we have felt the weight of the world and now we're not back to where we started. We're on the sacred ground and whatever it was that was holding us up so high is no longer there in that moment. And we have to re um, like assess how we're going to get back up again. And yeah, I, I, I think the sentiment of that in that movie is great and it's too bad that it's in a horror film and it kind of has that, weird vibe throughout the whole movie while you're watching this scene because I think it's a beautiful act yeah exactly I know I a number of people in my life don't like horror films like I do but I might just want to show them that scene because there's a lot to be gained although they might not really understand you kind of have to see the whole situation but that is a beautiful moment and very human so I appreciated that they integrated that into the story Mm -hmm. so it sounds like we can access joy in myriad ways but in the, depending on what works for us, but you re- first have to really 
deal with the grief. You have to sit with it, right? Is that kind of what you're thinking? That's, that's my understanding is um, you have to take some steps, right? It's there's the, the instantaneous, um, I'll go for a run and I'm going to feel great. I think that works, but that's just going to work as long as your endorphins are flowing, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's mm-hmm. like, what you're, what are you carrying? And how long do you want to be carrying it? And when are you going to set it down? And if you keep carrying it, you know, how do you expect to carry more things being the joy? Right. Um, Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. So, all right, Rudy, well, appreciate your time. I'd like to jump into some rapid fire questions now. So the first one is, what is one morning habitual practice you have that you cannot live without? Oh, um, stretching. Stretching is every morning I'm at least doing five minutes and it's either on the yoga mat or on one of those foam rollers. Just Mm. waking up my body is essential. Otherwise, if I come to this chair and do my Zoom meetings the whole time, I'm just thinking, oh, I just need to move. So, um, yeah stretching. Yeah. That's a great reminder to me too, because I'm pretty sedentary working from home and I need to do it's something I've been cognizant of is getting back into my stretching more because I have that dance background and Pilates background. And I just notice a huge difference when I engage with those. Yeah. And I find what really helps is like now the spring and summer around the corner, like being mm-hmm. able to go outside in the sun and do it in the morning is like mm-hmm. so much nicer and enticing. Definitely. Yeah. Do you have a favorite book that you're reading right now or that you've read that you'd like to recommend that align with some of the topics we've discussed? Ooh, yeah. Um, I'm currently reading about 10 books. Um, <laughs> okay, overachiever. <laughs> um, I'll say that they're, the, most of them are for school. Um, let's see. I'll, I'll just go to my personal ones. Um, yeah. This uh, Thomas More, he writes a, a number of books. Um, but the soul of sex is, is a, it can be quite theoretical, but it's also very applicable. I'm sure anyone that reads it is going to be like, yeah, yeah, I know what he's talking about. So um, the soul of sex, like a uh, tantric kind of, or is that something separate? Like, what does that no, mean exactly? Soul no. Of sex. Um, so what he's talking about is what is Eros and how does this idea of eroticism play in your life. And he's really bringing up questions around what does it mean to embody your sexuality and how do we Mm. walk through life with it? Do we, do we tuck it in a corner at home in our bed and save it for Mm. our our intimate ones? And that's the only place, or is it expressed throughout in other aspects of our lives? Oh, I love that. That sounds really interesting. I'll have to check that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like how do you breathe it into different facets of your life? That's really an interesting thing to consider. Yeah. Tying back to what you said at the very beginning about, of the podcast about how like we perceive in our society and our culture, we perceive sex in kind of a really limited way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And was... It's just interesting to think about it, not being so limited to that one concept and having it, you know, be multifaceted, I guess is the word. Yeah. And, and I think a point that I'll make that I'm coming to terms with is 
it doesn't mean that we're going out and I'm going to, I'm going to flirt with Carly because I see her out on the street and I want to now have this renewed sense of sexual energy. It's more of like, how do I bring into my work, my sensate feeling of like being an alive sexual human mm-hmm. with coworkers around, right? Like what are, mm-hmm. what are the boundaries there? How do we, how do we relate to each other? Mm-hmm. Right. And I think it's, it's a, great topic for debate now especially with so much going on with Cuomo in the news and and, yeah. and we don't need to go into the political side of it but I think <laughs> it's something think that's it, interesting yeah to think about it's really rich and I think it needs like our sexuality is a huge part of who we are let's not keep it under this like scared isolated place yeah there's a lot to be said about that because in many instances if we could work with it and let it flow, I think more good could come from that, like supporting it and not hiding it away, but also yeah, having boundaries and understanding safe ways to express our sexual essence is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a pretty rich topic, as you said, there's a lot to say there, but that's that sounds like an interesting book. Were there other books that you wanted to mention too that I can include in our show notes here? Yeah, I think um, a great book for non-psychology oriented people that are interested in some of the things I mentioned is the body keeps the score and this oh is yeah I've read that one <laughs> Bessel van der Kolk yeah this is this is great um Peter Levine does a lot of um I would say that he's a great outlet for if you want to understand more about the nervous system and there's this window of tolerance that we have as humans and are we functioning within it or without it or there's a faux window of tolerance that we think that we're taught, you know, anyway, so that's another author. Um, one other book that I always have on my shelf is Sabon Fu Somme. Um, she's from Burkina Faso. She's no longer alive now, but um, she's got a few great books. And the, what is the, the name of the one that I'm currently reading? Um, Falling from Grace. And yeah, I've heard of that one. Yeah, I think this is this is a great book um, for anyone who <clears throat> feels as if they've dishonored themselves, someone in their family, they've fucked up in a major way. This is a great book to realize, like, look, here are some practical reasons why you are human. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have one other one in there. It's Francis Weller, and he's actually from the area. He's He holds spaces in Santa Rosa and on the East Coast as well, but um, the wild edge of sorrow. <clears throat> and anyone who's interested in, in what I've been talking about in terms of grief should read this book. Okay, yeah, definitely. I love to read as well. So I'm excited to check out some of these books that you've mentioned. What about uh, quickly, any podcasts along these lines that you listen to? Do you like to listen to podcasts that discuss psychology? Yeah, um, I'm not a big podcaster at this moment, um, but one I will mention is Esther Perel. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, she she talks all things sex, all things relationships. And if anyone who is struggling or enjoying the relationship 
I think this is just very pertinent at this moment for, for me, who's someone who's in my late twenties and going through the woes of dating and whatnot. So, um, yeah, it's good to have resources at the ready, (laughs) just no matter our age or where we're at in the dating process. It's like, yeah, because there's always going to be growth involved, no matter if you like my parents, as you know, uh, they've been married now almost 40 years and your parents have probably been married around the same amount of time too, right? A long time. So it takes work. They've, yeah. they've, I'm sure they have all utilized their own resources. Yeah. And, <laughs> you and know? then when you see that and you're like, like okay, wait, so that's to... the standard. And then you, then you grow up and you're like, how did that even happen? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Different time now, huh? So um, let's see, is there a certain element, earth, water, fire, air that helps you to feel grounded and embodied that you worked with or, or work with often? Or do you work with all of them? Um, well, as a person, I'm very earthy and fiery. So I need to, st- I will stray away from fire because any fire practices, there, there needs to be a a very secure containment. Um, I think, like I mentioned earlier, water is most important for me. It just helps me. I don't know. There's something about water that I can't explain that just feels right for my body. May I ask, do you know what your sun rising and moon signs are in astrology or at least your sun sign? Do you happen to know? Um, my, my zodiac sign, you mean the sun rising is Oh, well, there's a lot that goes into it, but do you know, like your sun sign, that would be your main zodiac sign. Okay. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a Sagittarius. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause that's a fire sign. So the water probably balances you out. Well, I'm a, I'm a fire sign too. I'm a Leo and I really connect well with water because it balances me and also earth energy because it's also grounding because I'm very airy and fiery and you might have some of that too in your chart. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to talk more about it. I'm not so up to date on zodiac stuff. (laughs) So you like to work with water and the earth too, like grounding. It sounds like with your gardening, that's very earth centric. Yeah. Um, I like to think of myself as down to earth and any practice related to jogging in the dirt, running, swimming, gardening, all these things are important. And just the aspect of one visual I'll use in meditation is doing sitting on the earth somewhere and imagining roots coming down through my spine and my sit bones going through and like swirling down mm-hmm. is a very grounding exercise for me mm-hmm. yeah you'll have to check out I have a Capricorn so that's an earth sign in astrology but I have a we actually have a new moon in Pisces tomorrow but I have a new moon meditation on this podcast in the sign of Capricorn that is all about that. Like I lead you through a visualization where you're like um, imagining yourself rooting into the earth and like plugging into the center of the earth. Yeah. That kind of visualization is really helpful for me too, to like find, to anchor down and find grounding in the moment. Cause I could be really like fiery and all up in the sky, <laughs> airy. And uh, it's helpful for me to plant down and find that anchor and center. Yeah, I'm for it. Send me that information. Yeah, cool. So my last question for you is what does wellness mean to you? Hmm. For me, I think wellness is being well-rounded in the sense of we are multifaceted 
beings and there's many aspects there's many needs that we have and recognizing whatever the need is and trying to to meet it is important and i think in a society in which we are so goal driven we lose sight of some of the things that are just inherently needed and the process of slowing down, pausing and checking in with myself has helped me recognize like, oh, I skipped lunch and actually I didn't have breakfast. Maybe I'd need to have some food before I can continue doing what I want to be doing, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the aspect of eating exercise and just having this well-rounded um, food for my system is, is, is healthy. And for me in particular, being psychological minded is, there needs to be an influx of information all the time. I cannot sit with what I um, think that I know. I need to be challenged in these intellectual exercises um, as well as the physical too. By the way, that's very Sagittarian of you. (laughs) We'll have to discuss more offline about Sagittarius. That's like, yeah, now that I think about it, it makes so much sense that you're a Sagittarius son. That's just one facet of astrology because you have a whole chart but just I thought about it as you were saying this because higher education and like consistently being curious is a big part of the Sagittarian kind of um, archetype in astrology yeah thank you Um, let's talk more about it I just purchased a book and I want to get into astrology so love to talk more about that this has been a lot of fun Rudy thank you for being on the podcast what are you currently working on? Is there anything that you can shout out to our audience and where can people find you if they want to follow the work that you're doing in the world? Yeah. Um, I don't have a website up yet. So I would say at this time, reach out on social media, um, Instagram or Facebook is what I have at the moment. And I'm more than happy if you want to send me a personal message saying what's up and you just want to ask questions. I'm way open to that. Um, right now I'm, I'm just working on getting my hours done for licensure and passionate about grief work and dreaming so anyone interested in those things in particular reach out now because i'm i'm really feeling it in these in these days that's great thank you well enjoy the rest of your night and again thank you for being on from the core yeah thank you carly appreciate it Such fun chatting with Rudy. I learned a lot and I'm excited to deepen my embodiment practice and to try out new methods of tapping into my inner guidance system based on some of Rudy's recommendations. So thank you, Rudy, for being on the podcast. You can follow me over on Instagram, Pinterest, and Twitter at Carly R. Perkins, C-A-R-L-Y-R-P-R-K-I-N-S. And I have lots of fun poetry and blogs that cover themes similar to what I talk about here on the podcast over on my website, carlyperkins.com. And then I'm creating some really beautiful work that I'm proud of over on Patreon. I'm creating guided meditations that fit in with the astrological themes of our time, meditations to help you tap into your intuition and to be grounded, dissipate anxiety to be in the moment in stillness with love and to love yourself and recognize yourself as loving awareness. So these are all different themes that I cover. And of course, there are other themes that are addressed 
And I also am offering new video content over there, journal prompts, affirmations. So there's a whole variety of healing resources that you can find over on patreon.com. If you become a patron, I offer a few different tiers and that's patreon.com forward slash Carly Perkins. All of this information is included in show notes and I hope that you'll join me and we'll have lots of fun healing together. Thank you for tuning into this podcast and as always... Be well.